New Age. Incense sniffing, aura caressing, pendulum swinging, crystal worshipping, tarot cards I'm going to tell you to get an herbal enema reading, hippies. You know, what exactly is it about New Age that everybody just totally loves to hate? Understanding New Age is an issue that's actually quite relevant to contemporary engagement with rejected traditional knowledge forms such as Nordic animism or perhaps other forms of Euro-traditional knowledge. So in this and in the coming video I'll try to address New Age a little bit. This first video here is mostly about the background to this most reviled position in spirituality today because looking at the background actually teaches us quite a bit about the knowledge domination in the West and thereby about the rejections that have pushed animism out of modern European culture. Like most people in my generation, I have spent most of my life defining myself in opposition to New Age, but observing this harsh condemnation on New Age, that actually started to spur my interest. If you look for the words, what is New Age, on YouTube for instance, you'll find numerous evangelist preachers invoking hellfire and brimstone you know, on why New Age is of the devil. You'll find pagans and heathens labeling New Age a superficial and inconsistent way of engaging the past in opposition to their own rather horrid abuse of the concept historical. Or you'll find politically engaged people who'll be telling you that New Age is an extractive mining of indigenous people's culture, which indeed sometimes it is. Or you'll find modernist atheists like the idiot Richard Dawkins, who's not a scholar of religion and exactly therefore is bassooning out these mid-20th century sort of colonized ideas of ridding the world of barbarous superstition and self-appointed gurus and all that. If you listen to him, then you'll be told stuff like... And yet, into this better world that reason has built, primitive darkness is coming back a disturbing pick-and-mix of superstitions. Where better to start my journey than a New Age fair? You can also find people jumping up and down on the undeniable and relevant, yet perhaps not exactly central fact that during the extreme low point of global COVID weirdness, some New Age practitioners were in fact protesting beside outright fascists. And guess what? In a video on this very channel here, you can hear yours truly say rather idiotic stuff like this. Now one very contemporary way of personally engaging Nordic heritage is New Age. And uh, I actually wanted to make a video about New Age, but I changed my mind and decided to focus in a slightly different topic, and that's bullshit. So this is the video where I will be looking a bit more seriously at 
the historical background to New Age, as well as this surprisingly intense hate campaign against New Age. And of course, are all these accusations false against those aura reading New Age hippies? Nah, they're not completely false. And I'll also try to outline a little bit part of the problem. But mainly, it just spurs my interest that something which is that universally bedeviled, you know, it just seems that it has to strike some important chord somewhere, somehow. First of all, New Age actually isn't particularly new. Central parts of it are actually ancient and its roots are so old that they are actually pre-Christian. Second, if you're a follower of this channel, there's a fairly good chance that you yourself are somehow associated or adjacent to New Age, even though you might not completely admit it. Third, is that necessarily so deplorable or even particularly stupid? Perhaps not. And fourth, well, actually, point number fourth is probably too controversial to share in public. So uh, if you want to hear point, point number four, then become a patron supporter. The roots of New Age are found in Western esotericism. So that is where the story of New Age should begin. The history of esotericism is a core topic for understanding the patterns of ideological domination that defines us as Euro-descended ethnicities and as white people, particularly that historic becoming white people. Looking at esotericism's open opens ways of thinking with the dominated ways of knowing rather than just continuing to roll along with the knowledge forms of the dominators. And it implies thinking with deep connectivity as an alternative to identitarian nationalisms that many today regard as normative. Particularly European ways of knowing have always been rather closely linked with near-oriental thought. And this goes all the way back. The people, for instance, who want to pose European polytheisms and, and, and thought in some sort of opposition to, for instance, Middle Eastern uh, thought and religiosity, they're straight up bullshitting. These things have never not been entangled. But before I delve into uh, some of this. Let me just disclaim that esotericism is not my main field of study, uh, but I am doing my best to not say something glaringly stupid. Though I still very much recommend that you orient yourself with some of the people who are more knowledgeable on this topic of esotericism, such as the amazing podcast, the Schwepp. The Secret History of Western Esotericism podcast by Earl Fontanelle or Angela Puka's channel. Uh, Justin Sledge channel has a channel called Esoterica. You can also check that out. So the label Esotericism covers a huge swath of complex intersections between different worldviews and practice. So I really feel that I'm moving a little bit on thin ice when I'm trying to, to, trying to draw lines in this huge field. So remember that these are lines, they're perspectives, and they're lines that I find to be really important because they uh, try to uh, emphasize or show us something about the rejection of animism in the West 
but they're our perspective. They're not like general banners or ideologies that unite those very disparate movements and trends of esotericism. That's stuff that we squeeze into our label of Western esotericism. And though esoteric ways of knowing are generally marginal, they are so transformative and dynamic, and they are what I would label strategies of resilience. And this implies that they also merge themselves in with more normative ways of knowing. And this is also something that you see through millennia, from the early church fathers adopting late platonic thought, all the way up to today, where you have corporate control systems that will be taking in stuff like mindfulness meditation as stress treatment in order to dodge responsibility for overworking their employees. And paradoxically, esotericism then sometimes ends up being blamed for some of the abusive stuff that's associated with power, and thereby, in fact, from the normative knowledge forms. I mean, whose ideology exactly do you think has probably created or legitimized more cruelty? Alistair Crawley, the allegedly evilest man in the world, or Charles Darwin, whose thinking be came to legitimize racist cruelty in, in, on a worldwide scale. But taking the disclaimer into account that there isn't like a consistent group of people that are staying true to a set way of thinking for two millennia, I actually do think that there is what you might call a tension, a tendency to a tension between different leanings in the fundamental worldview. There are basic cosmological schemes that are important because they actually do pose uh, a conflict with each other sometimes in the ways that they are formulated in different systems of thought and practice. So these cosmological schemes, uh, I call them a relation and a distinction cosmology. The relation cosmology is where reality is held together by relation and there's a continuum between the world of humans and the other than human realities and persons. We are relations to Raven. The distinction cosmology is characterized by reality held together by borders or distinctions, boxes, categories. We are Danes and that is sharply defined from being Swedes or we are humans and that is sharply distinguished from being God or being a dog. This, this is rationalist science in here and that is sharply distinct even in opposition to being a barbarous, superstitious, primitive, self-appointed guru. I have spoken, spoken about these uh, cosmologies elsewhere, and uh, in my view, it is, it's a really important intersection or tension. My basic proposition here is that there is a remarkable difference between the leaning in these two different kinds of building a cosmology, building a worldview. So for now, just hold on to the fact that a complex of beliefs and practices that we call New Age, that is part of a two millennia old train and complex of disparate, non-normative knowledge practices that we today label esotericism. And these are generally ways of thinking that are characterized by a relational cosmology. And I would say that this is an important contributing factor to the fact that they have been rejected by more normative distinction cosmologies. 
A good time to start looking at this stuff is in late antiquity of the Greco-Roman culture around the time when Christianity was on the road to become the normative religion in Europe. There was a tension at this point between the mounting power of Christianity and other worldviews and this tension laid the ground for the formation of a field of knowledge that were to become esotericism. You had trends such as late Platonic thinking, Gnosticism and Hermeticism for instance. I'll look a little bit at late Platonic thinking. Typically late Platonists believe that humans have souls and there are higher realities that we can gain insight in. We can gain access to these realities. Note here the possibility of contact. Late Platonic thinkers became what esotericism researchers actually do call an elite intellectual resistance movement of sorts. They were defending traditional religion to the emerging uh, Christianity. A thinker such as Iamblichus, for instance, he develops a theory of magic and theurgy, which is basically kind of a philosophy underlying animist practice, you could say. And this continued to be an inspiration for Western esotericists down through the ages. So basically, here at the beginning of our time, you find the first European magicians doing what later esotericists were doing and what any competent voodoo hungan does. Paint figures on the floor and invoke other than human agents and build relation with them. This late platonic reality is very compatible to what we could call animism in some ways. At least they operate on the basis of this relational cosmology, a cosmology of connectivity. And this thinking keeps popping up throughout Western history. Jamblichus's thinking continues to inspire occultists and esotericists all the way down to today. So from late antiquity and onwards, esotericism becomes this enormous field of often disjoint, disjointed and unrelated thinkers and producers of culture. As I mentioned, there isn't a consistency through history. Humanity is messy and esotericism is extremely human in this sense. For instance, what happens early on is that, that platonic thinking becomes so strong that early Christian thinkers take, take in Platonic thought in order to legitimize Christianity. So while Platonic thought poses a resistance to Christianity, it also merges with early Christianity. But with the Reformation in the 16th century, Christians turn against Platonicism and see it, perhaps rightly, as a heathen influence on Christianity. And then the genius Dutch scholar Wouter Hanegraaff, he points to the important watershed in what we could call the rejection of animist cosmology in the West. Hanegraaff puts a spot on that point where people in Europe starts convincing themselves that there is no possible interface between human and other than human spheres of reality. Hanegraaff analyzes this cleanup operation of all thinking in the West, which has stupendous proportions, importance and ramifications, but which is surprisingly unknown. You could call it the rationalism washing, the Descartes washing, the Cartesianizing, the modernity washing, the distinctionizing, I don't know, of Western history. I've struggled to find a word that 
matches Viking washing and smoothness but failed, perhaps you can help me in the comments. It is the great story about us as thoroughly dependent on and exclusively living in the distinction cosmology and that everything in the, that leans towards a relation cosmology is not us. The driving force in this cleanup operation is this here motherfucker. It is the German theologian and historian of ideas Johann Jakob Brücker. He wrote a history of ideas that has basically defined the tectonics of Western thought for the last 300 years. It was the enormous work Historia Critica Philosophiae. He basically divides all thought in European history into two categories, good and bad. Good is everything that can be construed into compliance with the distinction cosmology as rationalist speculations that stay in their lane, which is inside the human mind and do not meddle into anything that Brücker would have considered religious. That was reserved for the absolute truth of the gospel. Bad was all the cool stuff. All the Kabbalah, the Gnosticism, the late Platonicism, the Hermeticists, Rosicrucians, occultists, alchemists and astrologers. All that stuff came to be classified as esotericism. So this distinction here is the reason that if you've gone to university and you've been introduced to a history of thought, then they would have told you about Aristotle and Descartes and Wittgenstein, but they would not have told you about Jamblichus, Abraham Abulafia and Crowley. Western modernity, as it was formed by Jakob Brücker, deems these guys here as good company they have the stamp of approval as rationalist thinkers and thereby positive contributors to European modernity. These guys here are bad company because their thinking makes presumptions about connectivity between humanity and others in the world or the other than human. Presumptions of a kind that Protestantism as this precursor for modernity deems invalid. That is why when I for instance was a student, my student colleagues and myself, we actually counter-educated ourselves in clandestine student reading circles, reading this guy here, the Danish esotericist Erwin Neutsky Wolf, who is a very typical representative of this trend here. And this was before new animist thinking uh, became strongly represented in the academic scene with this trickster voice that I believe actually dissolves this distinction here in some ways because new animist thinking successfully speaks a relational reality from the authoritative normative academia uh, positions, but that's a little bit of a different story. Now there is a tendency to say that what goes on in here is probably racist, elitist, totalitarian, sexist, misogynist and Eurocentric. And in some cases that's totally the case, in some cases not. The students that was reading Avi Neutzke-Wolf back in the 90s were actively involved in uh, anti-racism, motivated by this subaltern worldview that we were immersing in. And also there's just another little de detail there. That is that, yeah, you can probably find racism, sexism and misogyny in here, but it also counts for these guys. There's a tendency to deem esotericism is really bad 
because bad stuff is sometimes going on in there. But exactly whose knowledge was it that prescribed abusive politics for 2,000 years? Was it the normative forms of knowledge or was it the rejected subaltern forms of knowledge? The answer, you know, is in the question. Of course, the knowledge forms of power are the ones that power primarily apply. Is it Alistair Crawley, the allegedly evilest man in the world, or Darwin, you know, whose knowledge has created large-scale atrocity? Well, I think it's Darwin, right? Some of these guys here may have been somewhat nasty individuals in some way or other. You can probably find stories about how Crawley was an ass to this or that lover. But really, it generally wasn't these guys who created gas chambers and institutes of race biology research. That was the good guys. The guys who didn't read radical thinkers like Neutschke Wolf and became anti-racists long before that was popular, but the guys who did what their professors told them to do. Even if you look at the exceptional case, I think, of National Socialism in Germany in the mid-20th century, where some esoteric bent individuals actually did manage to navigate themselves into position of power, and to relate some of these really harmful brands of esotericism to their atrocities, even in that historically exceptional case, I would still like to see a thorough comparison asking what discourse actually played the biggest role in legitimizing that cruelty. Non-normative knowledge like Madame Blavatsky's race thinking, the Thule Gesellschaft mysticism, Guido von List and Jörg Lanz, you know, Aryan blood mysticism and all that. Or perhaps eugenics, race hygiene research, Darwinism and Dr. Mengele. So here's what I think. I think that pinning bad shit on rejected knowledge is basically collaborating on Brücker's project of continuing to marginalize these knowledge forms. Esotericism is a 2000 year old tradition of trying to squeeze connective perceptions sort of through the cracks of elitist knowledge domination and influence power, sometimes successfully I might add. But would anybody even expect that a power language which is entangled in 2000 years of European history should be like pure as a driven snow? Like not? Course you know there are also problematic things in something which is that big and that uh, entangled in a European history of, of power. You could look at my own education. I have an education in the normative knowledge system. I was educated from an honorable and ancient institute, institution, which in its day, right across the street from where I defended my thesis and was giving my degree, had the former National Institute of Race Biology where the normative knowledge pra practice was dedicated to protect the Swedish race from being degenerated by mixing with Sami, Finnish and Jewish inferiors. Like what right exactly is it that the normative knowledge crew here has of accusing this crew here of being somehow universally associated with morally objectionable stuff? You know, that was a fucking rhetoric question. None. So New Age belongs here. It's part of this trend of thinking, which is about a millennia older than the Elder Edda. And in my next video, I'll continue this 
my recalcitrant rant against all those recalcitrant rants against one of the most important ranty recalcitrances against knowledge domination in the West. My tentative defense <laughs> for an important form of counterculture in our time. That's New Age. And I'll be talking about that in my next video. Thanks for listening and see you around.